Luke's Gospel tells us, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. God chooses to speak to both the rich and the poor, the favored and the outcast. Here God speaks to lowly shepherds, dirty and smelly from their hard work in the fields. Yet the glory of God covered them, and the presence of God was thick and tangible. As we light the shepherd candle, we thank you, Jesus, for covering us with your presence now. This Advent season, may we surround ourselves with more of you, more of your presence, and teach us how to love others no matter what. Amen. All right, how we doing? Pretty good. That guy has like a professional broadcaster voice. That was incredible. I don't know if John's not here tonight, but uh, man, that was, that was legit right there. Good stuff. Um, all right, let, let's be honest for a minute. I know that if someone were to ask you, what do you love about Christmas, you would give them an appropriate answer. You would say something like, well, I love Christmas because of what it means for me that, that Jesus came to earth, and you give them the spiritual answer. You play the Bible card. Okay, that's good. Other people would say, what I love about Christmas is time with my family that I don't get to see, and it, we gather together, and that's nice. It's sentimental. Some of you would say that, you know, it's just a time of joy and peace, and it's a season of generosity and all the right sentimental things. Can we just admit for a minute that some of us like Christmas because we like to get stuff? <laughs> right? How many of you like to get stuff at Christmas? Let, let's just be honest here. All right, that's good. I like all the other parts about Christmas too. Those things are still true. They're still good. But I still like to get stuff. I like to get a good gift at Christmas. And, and I know people always said to me after we had a bunch of kids, they were like, well, now the joy of Christmas is watching your kids unwrap presents. It's not about you unwrapping presents, and those people are liars. <laughs> because I still love opening presents just as much as my kids do. In fact, there was a few years where my wife and I took like a few years off of Christmas where we didn't buy each other anything for Christmas. It was just about the kids, it was finances, all those kinds of things. I remember last year thinking like, no way, never again. We're doing Christmas this year. We're going to get some stuff. It's going to be awesome. Uh, so here, here's what I think. I think most of us, even though we're maybe not going to like readily admit it all the time, we still like to get stuff. We like to receive a good gift, especially from a good giver. Yeah. See, you know, some people give 
because they're supposed to. It's an obligation. They don't put a lot of thought into it. Here's a thing that I think you would like. Here's a a thing that maybe it's practical. Here's a gift card because I didn't want to think about you. And so there's just, I'm going to give you these things. Sometimes it's actually, I love gift cards, but sometimes people are like, why don't you go buy yourself something? I'll give you the money, write my name on it. We're done. Some people really enjoy that. But when you've got a good giver, a good giver's been paying attention. A good giver knows what you want. They've put thought into it. There's meaning behind the gift that they're giving. It's something that, that's not given out of obligation, but there's thoughtfulness. It's, there's generosity. Right? Generosity isn't just someone who gives a lot. It's someone who gives with thought. Aww. It's a Mark Brewer original. On the other hand... Nobody likes a taker. We, we like good givers, but no one likes a taker. And we know what a taker is. A taker is someone who, who's always wanting something from you. They always need something from you. They're always asking for something. They need your time. They need your focus. They need your energy. They, they need something from you all the time. A taker is someone who likes to get gifts, but they don't like to give them A taker is someone who would expect you to give them a Christmas card, but they're not going to give any out. A taker is the person who will take the last piece of pie without asking or thinking that maybe this is someone's. A taker is why you label food in the fridge. It's because of takers. I know I talked about these last week about cream puffs from Costco. Well, my dad got me a bucket of them this week. It was awesome. They were gone in an hour. They were just gone because kids are takers and they don't care. They just take all your food. And so takers, they're they're always kind of taking from you, whereas a giver likes to give. And so we all know some takers. Don't nudge your neighbor or point across the sanctuary. You know, some takers. There, There are people who give and people who take, people who replenish you and people who deplete you. That That's a generalization we're making, but it's to make a point. And so there are some good examples of this in Scripture. And so I know it's the Christmas season and you're seeing the nativity scene everywhere you go. It's all over the place and the nativity scene always has Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and the animals and the three wise men. The three wise men who showed up and did what? They gave gifts. And the wise men were good givers. We see this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. It says, After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasure chests and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So yes, if you're paying attention, that means that the wise men were not technically at the manger the day Jesus was born. This is perhaps a full year or two later after the fact. That does not mean you should be the person who points out everyone's nativity scene and goes, well, actually, the wise men were not present the day of, don't, don't do it. Resist the temptation. But Matthew has told us a few things that would indicate that the wise men were good givers. 
the first thing we see is that they traveled a long distance. And back then especially, traveling long distances was no easy task. There is no city transit. There is no easy way to get around. It was a long, arduous journey. They were traveling from another country. There, there was a long way to go. You would have to book all kinds of time and, and get money. They would travel in caravans because it was safer that way from thieves that were on the road. And usually you would have to hire security to travel with you so that you were prepared for whatever happened. It was a big deal. If someone's traveling a long ways to give you a gift, they're probably a good giver. And then it says they were filled with joy even just at the prospect of going to see this child and, and to give him gifts. They were happy about it. it. It wasn't done out of obligation. It wasn't done like, well, I suppose I should take this kid a gift. They, they wanted to. They were joy kind of filled to be able to do that. And then we see that their gifts were in treasure chests. That's awesome. That's not like Regent Mall gift wrap. That like a treasure chest, to me, that's half the gift. You could give me an empty treasure chest and I think that would be awesome. That's great. Tre treasure chest. That's a sweet gift. And, and so they're giving them these gifts at a treasure chest. And then we see that it's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, and those are gifts that have significant meaning to them. They were not just the oils that were on sale on the Essential Oil website. They had some, some meaning to them. Gold was a gift that you would give to a king. It, it was a gift that, that kind of talked about royalty and kingship. If you notice in the Old Testament, the temple and, and, and the Ark of the Covenant, those things were covered in gold. Gold, that's what you make a crown out of. That, it was just this thing that designated, oh, this, this person's king, this person's royalty. Frankincense uh, was used in, to, to kind of designate divinity. This was what you burned as incense at a religious ceremony or during a worship service. Frankincense was associated with that. And then finally, we see that myrrh, it sounds a little weird, was used in embalming dead bodies, which in, you know, first glance, not a thing you should buy for a baby shower. That's a weird gift to take a baby. But it also had this picture to it of resurrection. And then it had this historical claim that myrrh oil what was something that could bring about resurrection. They actually called it the dew of resurrection. And so often when they were embalming a body, some of the picture there going back a number of years was we've got to take care of this body because it will be resurrected someday. We can't destroy the body. You can't burn this body. We're going to take care of it. And, and so you see these, these gifts that were given to Jesus where we're saying Jesus is king, he's royalty, he's divinity, he's worthy to be worshipped. He, it, it foreshadows his death and talks about his resurrection. Those are gifts that are given with meaning, with purpose, with power. The wise men were good givers. Those are pretty good gifts. But here's kind of the funny part of that story. In this story, Jesus is the taker. He, he's the one who just takes the gifts. And what's he going to do with He's a baby. What's a baby going to do with gold? Right? He, he just takes them, and we don't ever find out what he did with them. But if we're being honest, if you read through the, the whole rest of the Gospels, you'll find out that Jesus seems to be a taker the whole time. That everyone who comes into contact with Jesus ends up losing something. Or he asks for something from them. That they have to give something up or lay something down. He makes them do these crazy things. The people that were the closest with Jesus usually ended up losing quite a bit. Jesus seems to be quite the taker. 
I mean, even if you just walk through the book of Matthew, you see Matthew chapter 4, he meets Peter and Simon. They were fishermen. They were literally out fishing that day. They were repairing their nets, and Jesus walks up to them, and he says, drop those nets and follow me. They're like, okay. They lose their jobs. They walk away from their career to follow Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, he meets Matthew, a tax collector, and he gets him to leave his booth and to walk away from his job as well. But tax collector wasn't just a job. That, that was a position. It had authority. It had power. You had clout if you were a tax collector. You follow Jesus, yeah, you're going to lose your position. He's going to take that from you too. Matthew chapter 8, someone says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. He's like, okay, just know this. I don't have a home. You come with me, I'll, you'll probably lose your home. And the very next person, the very next verse says, I'll follow you wherever you go, but I got to run home. I got to bury my father first. And Jesus was like, nah, if you want to come with me, you can come with me now. Let the dead bury their dead. And I mean, for that guy to go bury his father, that, that's probably some kind of claim to his inheritance and, and to family relationships. And Jesus was like, no, you're probably going to give that up if you're going to follow me. And he's just taking from all these people. You keep moving on. Matthew chapter 14. He feeds the 5,000, but in order to do it, he takes the disciples' lunch. Now he's even taken our food. He's taken everything else, and now he's taken our food. Matthew chapter 26, there's a woman who opens up this jar of unbelievably expensive perfume, pours it over Jesus. Everyone is livid. That was like month's salary. That was someone's retirement package, and people are losing their minds, and Jesus was like, nah, she did a good thing. Well, you just, like, you just took someone's prized possession. You, you took someone's most valuable item, and, and they just wasted it to dump on your body. And that's a good thing? Jesus, probably take your prized possession. Matthew chapter 19, a guy asked Jesus, so what, what do I have to do to get saved? How do I get eternal life? And Jesus answers him, you should sell everything you own, okay, and give the money away. That, that's, that's everything I own. That's all my stuff. That's my money. That's my wealth. That's my security. Give it up. You're going you're to literally take everything from me? Around the same time, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you should actually plan on leaving behind your mom and your dad and your sisters and your brothers. You should, you should love your, me more than you even love your own family. Now, now you're taking my relationships? You're taking my family? You're, you're, you're taking like the most important thing in my life? And Matthew chapter 16, probably the hardest commandment of all, he says, if you want to follow me, you're going to take up your own cross and you're going to lose your life to find it in me. He asks for their life. And he's asking literally for everything. Jesus is some kind of taker. And the people who follow him the closest seem to end up losing the most. The people that followed him the closest seem to be the ones that, that had to give up everything. He, he takes it all. Jesus still does this. He will ask you for everything. He will make demands on your life that seem unfair, that seem outrageous. I don't know how many times you've read some of those verses in Scripture and you thought, you're coming on pretty strong here, Jesus. You're, you're going to love me more than your own mom and your dad. And he's like, yeah, no, read Matthew. He comes on pretty strong. He says, this is, what it, this is what it takes to follow me. He's quite the taker. And so over the course of this series, we've been talking about how Christmas ruins Everything. Week one, we talked about how, how Jesus, Christmas ruins your hiding place. 
and he came to earth to find us and, and to kind of bring us out of hiding and to give us relationship. Last week we talked about how Jesus ruins all your hard work, meaning that you don't have to earn your way up to God, but he actually came down and offers salvation as a free gift. But this week I want to talk about how Christmas ruins your life. Christmas ruins your life. You think that's a little bizarre to say. That, that's kind of a crazy thing to say to people going to church at Christmas time. They want to hear something nice and joyful and hopeful. You want to talk about how, how Christmas ruins your life? And if we just left it at that today and closed in prayer and went home, that's a pretty depressing time at church. All right, that, that's kind of a weird sermon to preach. Guess what, everyone? Following Jesus is hard. He will ask you to walk away from your family, to walk away from your money, to walk away from your position, to walk away from your career and your dreams, and your, he'll probably lead to financial ruin and really difficult relationships, but don't worry, you get to carry a cross and lay down your life. Anyone want to get saved? Stand to your feet. <laughs> right, that, that's, that's kind of a hard message. That's, that's a bit of a hard sermon, but there's, there's a but. Because Jesus just doesn't take those things. Jesus takes some other things from us as well. I want us to really listen to this passage today. This is Isaiah chapter 53. And we see some of the other things that Jesus takes from us. It says, Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. And then we read this, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. And it was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Jesus is a taker. But he doesn't just take things from us. He takes things from us in a way that is for us. What Jesus takes from you is for you. And we see in this passage that Jesus takes our weaknesses. Jesus takes our sorrows. He takes our punishment. He takes our consequences. He takes our sins. He takes all of them away from us. Because he is a pretty good taker. But, but he takes everything for a reason. He took those things to give us something better. And he was whipped so we could be healed. He took our sins so that we could be whole. He was pierced so that we could have forgiveness. He took those things from us, but he did it for us. He took all those things, but he doesn't leave us empty-handed. He's a taker who doesn't leave us empty-handed. In fact, Jesus has this crazy way of taking things from us, but leaving us with more than what we started with. Here's the things that Jesus does for us. This is Colossians 
It says, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. He took away the charges that were against us. He took away the, the punishment and the consequence that we were going to be left with. And what did he give us instead? He made us alive in Christ. In other words, Jesus took our loss and he turned it into a victory. He takes our loss and he turns it into a victory. This is Galatians 3.13. It says, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. He took the curse that was for us and he gives us a blessing. He took our humanity and instead he gives back his divinity in the form of the Holy Spirit. He takes things from us, but what he gives us in return is far better. He takes things from us, but he leaves us way better off than we were before he took those things. That's, that's how Jesus works. He's always giving us something better in return. He's not just taking to take. He's not just taking to leave you depleted and weary and empty-handed. What Jesus wants to do is take things from you to, to give you something far superior in return. We even see that when, when he fed the 5,000, when we just talked about this. But when you read that story, he, he gets all the disciples' food. This is everything they had combined from the crowd, just a handful of fish and a few loaves of bread. But what we read at the end of the story is that everyone had more than enough to eat, and they're actually left with 12 baskets of leftovers. Jesus took everything and left them empty-handed, and yet somehow at the end of the story, they have leftovers. See, when Jesus leaves you empty-handed, the temptation will be to think, oh, he just took everything away from me. He took all these good things away from me, but what you don't understand is that he's going to take your poverty and turn it into abundance. He, he took everything from them and gave them leftovers. He gave them more than what they even started with. And it turns out that the ultimate taker is also the ultimate giver. And he's so generous. He takes our sin, our guilt, our shame, our captivity, our brokenness, our death, our despair, our loneliness. He takes all of it, and instead, he gives us hope and joy and peace and life and freedom and forgiveness and protection and guidance. It's a pretty good deal, isn't it? He takes all that stuff away from us and instead gives us something far better in return. But, if we're being honest, sometimes that taking is painful. Sometimes when Jesus takes things from you, they're things that we love. Sometimes the things that, that Jesus wants you to let go of, of, they're things that we're holding on to pretty strong. And we think, well, Jesus, these are good things. 
th these are things that I quite enjoy having around. I don't understand why you would want to take some of these things from me. And I don't know about you, but this is when I find Jesus to be the most confusing. Is when it seems like he is the one responsible for taking good things out of my life. I I'm, I'm living for you, Jesus, and I'm walking in obedience, and, and, and you're, you're taking things away from me that I, I thought they were supposed to be good and beneficial. And maybe you can think of a time in your own life when, when a seemingly good thing was taken from you. And, and you finally got a job that you applied for and it was going well. Or you finally get into a relationship that seemed healthy and stable. You get into the school that, that you applied for. You've got relationships that are good and wonderful. You've got money in the bank. If, you're, if your life was a puzzle, all the pieces were together. It made a nice little picture. It was wonderful. That's your life. It's the life that you planned, the life that you were dreaming of, the life that, that you had laid out for you all this time. And then one day you get one of those nudges from the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've ever been there and he says well actually I'd like for you to resign from your job I'm calling you into the mission field you're like well that's that's not part of the life that I was thinking of he says I'd, I'd like for you to change schools I've, I've actually got a different career path for you and well no no I'm I'm actually on a really good career path it's got a high ceiling for salary growth it's gonna be great And he's like actually I've equipped you to work in the margins with people you're like, well, that's, that's not really what I had my life kind of laid out to be. And, and, and maybe it's, I'd actually like you to step away from this relationship right now because this isn't good for you and it's actually not allowing your faith to flourish and your faith to grow. And I need you to, to walk away from it. And you're thinking, well, I don't want to be alone. It wasn't my plan in my life to be alone right now. Why would you take this from me? And say, well, maybe it's this time that Jesus said, I'd actually like you to take that money and give it away. Well, my, I worked for this money. This, this money is my savings. This is my security. Why would you make me give away this, this good thing? Maybe you've had the Holy Spirit say, I need you to step away from this friend group for a little while. Maybe I need you to give up, I don't know, alcohol for a season. Maybe I need you to walk away from that hobby that you love. Well, why would you do that? These aren't bad things. These, these are things that I enjoy. These are things that I like. And he starts taking these pieces out of our puzzle and he's left holes in, in the picture of our life that we had kind of put together, this life that we had dreamed of. And, and now there's gaps in it. And, and it seems like it's God's fault for doing it. And it gets pretty confusing. We get a little unclear with this sometimes. And that's when you hear the Holy Spirit whisper to you, what good is it if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? And he says, wasn't the call to follow me the call to lay down your own life so that I could give you the life that is good and real and true? I know that this life seemed like your ideas and your plans. It seemed like these were good things. But, but what if I told you that the life with me is actually going to be better than the things that you've let go of? See, we, we just can't fathom that letting go of good things would lead to something better. It reminds me of a, an old C.S. Lewis quote that I don't have, so I'm going to botch it. But he basically says something along the lines of we're, we're far too easily pleased he said, we're far too easily pleased with things like food and with drink and with sex and with entertainment. He says, we're like a little kid who's, who's playing in the mud who has no concept of what a holiday at sea would be like. We're far too happy to hold on to the things that we think are great and think are good, but compared to, to what God has for us, man, they're, they're nothing 
but we've got to let go of them in order to find out what it is that God has for us. And we have to live in that confusion where we trust that what God is asking us to do is going to work out and be better for us, even if it doesn't make sense in the moment. Will you let go, go of good things so that God can give you better things? Are you willing to let go of the things that, that were your life? This is my plan. This is what I wanted. This was my dream. Are you willing to lay down your own life so that Jesus can give you the better life that he's got for you? And it's, it's really hard. We're convinced that the picture that our puzzle put together was really nice and Jesus wants to paint a better one. We've got to give him those pieces. We've got to trust that he's for us. We've got to trust that he's worth giving good things up for. We've got to trust that when we're confused, we know that he's good. Even if it feels like he's working against us. Jesus is worth anything and everything you could ever give up for him. He is. Jesus is worth anything and everything that he will ever ask you to let go of. There is nothing in this world that will be worth holding on to instead of Jesus. There is nothing in this world that will satisfy you more than Jesus. It's just hard to feel it in the moment. I heard someone say one time, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You don't need anything else to be satisfied. You don't need all those peripheral things to, to make yourself feel like, well, no, my life is lacking. It's got to be this or this or this or this. And Jesus says, try me. Try them all out. Solomon wrote a book about it. It's called Ecclesiastes. We went through this a year ago. It says, give it a shot. It says, you'll discover that it's meaningless. Jesus is trying to tell us all through Scripture that, that life in the kingdom is so much better that life with Christ is so much better, that, that the life he's got for you is so much greater. This is what he says. He tells a parable in Matthew chapter 13, 44. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. In other words, when you find the kingdom, when you find the things that Jesus has for you, it would be worth getting rid of everything else just to have this one treasure, just to have this one thing that he's got for you. Are you willing to let go of anything and everything to find that treasure that Jesus has for you? Do you value knowing Jesus over anything else in your life? And it's easy to say that we do, but it's much harder to actually put action behind it. And, and it's easy to say that you do, and you think, well, Jesus hasn't actually asked me for any of these good things in my life. Well, just wait. He's got a tendency to come along and ask you for those things because he's quite the taker, but there's no greater giver. There's no one more generous no one more kind, no one more loving, no one's got a better plan for your life than you, than, than Jesus, even you. His plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. 
See, that this is life that you thought was perfect, the life that you thought was best, life that was filled with your plans, your dreams, your stuff, your home, your family. This is, this is great. And Jesus said, oh, I came to give you the more and better life, life beyond that. Those are good things. Those are gifts from God. Those are wonderful blessings. You should enjoy them, but don't hold on to anything too tightly because all those good things can become bad things if they're things that get in the way, if they're things that become idols to us, if they're things that we know that I would have a really hard time letting go of this, that's probably the thing Jesus is coming for next. Matthew 10, 39, he says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Christmas ruins your life. Jesus ruins your life, but it's to give you a better one. Christmas ruins the life that you think will make you happy and successful and blessed and satisfied. But Jesus came to give you more and better life, abundant life, a richer, deeper, truer, more blessed, more satisfying life than, than you didn't even know you were capable of enjoying. It's because we're so, so liable to hold on to these things. So I guess the question for us today is, will you let go of some of the things in your life that Jesus wants to take? Do you trust Jesus with all of the things in your life? Would you be willing to walk away from some of the dreams you've got if it meant that Jesus is the other way? Those are hard things, but it's better. His way is better. His plan is better. The things that you're clinging to, that you're refusing to let go of, they're not better. And they will eventually get old, they will eventually let you down, you will eventually see kind of their cracks and blemishes along the way. I mean, God, he's so patient, so kind, so generous, he'll wait. But one of the hardest things that you can do is give up your own life to follow the one that Jesus has for you. But he just knows that what's, what's going to happen at the end is so much greater. I think of the Israelites in the desert, and Moses is trying to lead them through the desert. And remember, and they get stuck midway. What do they do? They start complaining about their old life. I like slavery better. We had food in slavery. I had a bed in slavery. It wasn't that bad when you come to think of it. I mean, Jesus, really, you, you asked us, God, you, you asked us to let go of all that stuff. You brought us out here into the middle of the nowhere to die. What God knows is that the promised land is way better than slavery. You just might be in the middle. You've got to trust him. You've got to keep on walking. You've got to let go of the things that you're holding on to. Jesus is worth anything and everything that you can give up for him. Are you willing to let go of it all to find life in him, to find satisfaction in him, to find the blessing that he wants to have for you? Life with Christ is far better than any life you could imagine without him. Amen? So I want to pray for us today. I know that's a, a heavy one, but it's truth. It's biblical. It's good. It's, it, it's, it doesn't have to be heavy. Jesus came to give you abundant life. Sometimes we're just the ones in the way. Sometimes it's my own life that's in the way. I want what God wants for me. I want the life that God has for me. And so maybe you're here and there's been 
you know, if you've been kind of listening to these scriptures, if you've been listening to this sermon, there's things in your head you know that, okay, I know, God, I know. I got to walk away from this. I got to put this down. I got to let this dream go. I've got to make that decision. I've got to transfer over here. I've got whatever that thing is. I don't know what it is for you. But for some of you, maybe today is the day that you have to let go of some of those things so that your hands are open to receive the better thing. God can't give you anything if your hands are like this. So he says, let go of those things and let you just see what I put in your hands that's greater and better. He says, I'm a taker, absolutely, but I'm also a giver. You'll never find anything better than the life I've, I've got for you. Let me pray for us today. Jesus, you're so good. And I'm not entirely certain who this message was for tonight, but they probably know. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would move in this place, that you would speak to people, that you would open their, their, their minds and open their hearts to the things that you would have for them today. I pray that you would give someone the power today to make a hard decision that they've been putting off. I pray that you would give someone the capacity today to make a hard decision that, that would give them so much more peace if they could just let go. I pray that there would be freedom and victory for people in this room today, that they would turn away from the life that they've got envisioned for them and they would just turn to the life that you're calling them to. Help them to put aside their own desires or, or, or their own reasoning, their own wisdom, whatever, whatever that is. And I, I just pray that they would look to you and say, Jesus, I want what you want for me. I want the life that you've got for me. I, I wanna put all these things over to the side that I've been far too easily pleased with so that I can give it all up to have the life that you want for me. I pray for that power for someone tonight, Jesus. You're so good. We're grateful that you've ruined our lives because what you give us is so much better in return. We love you. We thank you. You're good. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen.